This is the Motherlands Podcast. The intention of this podcast is to provide evidence-based information related to fertility, pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum, as well as share positive birth stories. I am your host, Keely Semler. The episode you're about to hear is chock full of incredible information and education on lactation and breastfeeding. Even if you aren't breastfeeding, I promise you will learn something super fascinating when you listen to this episode. But before I introduce the guests, just a friendly reminder that if you have been enjoying the Motherlands podcast, please write a review and leave a rating. I would love to continue interviewing guests for the Motherlands, and writing a review and leaving a rating are simple ways for Motherlands to be visible to other listeners. Thank you so much. Today's guests are Jennifer Davidson and Kimmy Mills. They are a team of lactation consultants best known as the Milky Way Mamas. They are on a mission to educate and empower clients on the amazing benefits of breastfeeding and nursing. They are involved in several community outreach projects, such as the Art of Nurture, which is a project that normalizes breastfeeding through art by installing muraled benches throughout Los Angeles where people can comfortably nurse their babies in public. In addition to The Art of Nurture, Jennifer co-produced a feature-length documentary film called The Milky Way, which honors mothers and displays the beauty and connection of the breastfeeding relationship. Our conversation covers a variety of common breastfeeding topics, such as milk supply, engorgement, thrush, and mastitis. While honoring the unique journey of every nursing mother, Jennifer and Kimmy share helpful tips and resources so that new mothers feel both supported and validated. We are here with Kimmy Mills and Jennifer Davidson in Kimmy Mills' beautiful, lovely, cozy living room. Thank you for hosting us. I'm so glad that you guys were willing to sit down and chat today and and hopefully everything you guys will share can be helpful for people on their journey in new parenthood, new motherhood. Um, So I'm wondering if you guys could introduce yourself. Sure. I'm Jennifer. I've lived in LA for my whole life and I've been working as a pediatric nurse for 40 years and I love working with moms and babies and families as a lactation consultant now for about 25 years in my pediatric practice because I get to see all the moms when they're pregnant Mm. come to their home once the baby's born and just help the whole family along and guide them. So, and then I had the great fortune of meeting Kimmy two years ago. We're working together to create and have created now a little lactation business, which we hope will grow and we're carrying on in the tradition of a movie that I created with my partner Chantal, movie partner. And together we created a movie called The Milky Way, which we wanted it to be a movie to support moms to really understand what it means to trust your bodies, trust your babies, and trust yourself. And to be Love lifted that. up in a world where women are not lifted up. And that's our whole mission today. Muslim made it. <laughs> Love it. My name is Kimmy. We have two young kids. Well, I guess they're not really that young anymore. They're seven years old as my uh, son, and I have a daughter who will be 10 shortly. And prior to having children, I worked as an environmental scientist for about 10 years. And then after I had my kids, I was fortunate enough to be able to take some time off when they were little to just, you know, focus my energy on them. I loved breastfeeding my babies. It was like one of the best experiences of my time as a mom. And I just really wanted to be able to help other people do it too. And Mm. I, you know, I had a challenging time with both of my kids for various reasons. So this episode for listeners is all about lactation, understanding lactation and support around breastfeeding. My first question for you guys is, When it comes to breastfeeding, when you're speaking to someone new who's either pregnant or newly postpartum with their brand new baby, what are some important things they need to consider in the first few weeks after 
giving birth to their baby? What what could they do to prepare? Good questions. I would say the first thing they can do to prepare is watch the movie. <laughs> oh, good idea. Thank you, Kimmy. Because that'll give a lot of information on everything involving like new, mother. new motherhood and also depending on where they're delivering, if they're planning to deliver in a hospital, it'll give some guidance on kind of how the hospital is set up for new moms and how they might want to learn to advocate for themselves. We think that the world out there has all the answers for us because they're the experts. Mm -hmm. But what we've come to learn is that there's a lot of misinformation that goes around in this culture. So it's really important to get good information about how the body works and I think Kimmy and I just go back and forth always to the basics, which is once the baby is born, just when the baby comes skin to skin on the mother's chest, it elicits just this cascade of hormones that help the mother to bond, help the baby to find its way to the breast, helps the milk to begin to come in. We can't say that enough. The place that the baby belongs once born is on the mother's chest, mm -hmm. and the hospital does a lot of things like washing the baby and checking the baby if it's really important absolutely but as soon as possible bring that baby back to the chest to live on mother and some and of those father. things can be done on the baby too you know mm -hmm. yes and as much as possible advocate yeah. for your baby to never be separate from the mother and it has to be let the dad take off his shirt and live on the dad i love that mm -hmm. so thrush what is it <laughs> Thrush is candida or yeast cells that have just kind of taken over. And a really important thing to know is we have yeast cells that live in our body harmoniously all the time. But when you've had antibiotics, say you had strep and you needed antibiotics at birth or right before birth, it can offset. Or if you needed antibiotics anytime along the way, it's not uncommon for a mom then to get thrush on her nipples because that's where the baby's nursing a lot so it's more it grows more readily in a warm wet sweet <laughs> milky environment so it'll be on her nipples on the baby's bottom that's covered up with a diaper moist all covered all the time and also on the baby's tongue it's not uncommon to get it there and how we will suggest to get rid of it is basically to know that it's not a dangerous thing but it can cause discomfort mm. certainly and Sometimes you don't even know you have it on your nipples. You just get cracked nipples and they don't seem to heal, which we always say, work on the latch, work on the latch. But if that still is not working, sometimes you discover, and you can also feel shooting pains sometimes up into the ducts. That might be a sign that it's yeast. And the best way to handle it is once you know you have it. Sometimes you don't know and you just treat it anyway and that's not dangerous. And that is, I like to start with the more natural things, which are things like baking soda baths on, on your nipples, on the baby's tongue, on the bottom. It's like a handful of baking soda in a little bath of water. You can also do vinegar washes. You can do sits baths for the baby in baking soda and water if they have it on their bottom. Um, those are natural ways, and even the grapefruit seed extract, it's 10 drops in an ounce of water on the tongue, on the nipples, little washes, right? It's very, very hot, stainy, uh, what's the word? It's kind of stinging, I guess you could say, right, on the yeast if it's direct, so make sure that you dilute it. Mm. And it's a rash on the baby's so bottom, on the, or what is it Thank like? you. On the baby's bottom, it's more clear to see that it's like little satellites of red mm. that do not heal so it looks like a diaper rash with little red satellites that don't go away and it can be anywhere around the anal area or just on the whole little perineum of the baby it can be on the mother's nipple and on the baby's tongue and mouth what it looks like is not that white smooth coated tongue but it's more patches of white looks like growth got mouth. it and they're really fussy Got it. And that's the yeast. And that's the yeast thrush. And so you can do the grapefruit seed extract, the vinegar wash, or the baking soda wash. Those are all great. If it becomes more serious for the mother and the baby's bottom, there's next steps, which are you have your antifungal creams. You can call your doctor, get a prescription. 
you can go over the counter and get the clotrimazole, which is the same thing they treat athlete's foot with, just so everybody knows, because it's less expensive in the men's section for athlete's foot than it is for gynecological. Of course. Everything for men is cheaper. <laughs> yeah. So using that cream, if it's more serious, little hydrocortisone, because your nipples can be very painful with it. And people will ask, oh, is that safe to do while the baby's nursing? So what you do is you put it on right after nursing, leave that on. So it's a have you heard of apno cream? People talk about that mm. one. And it's all-purpose nipple cream. And what that actually is, is a little bit of hydrocortisone, an antibiotic cream, and the antifungal mixture. You can layer that on over the counter, onto your nipples, onto the baby's bottom. But I always like to say, if you're not in my practice, perhaps you should talk to your doctor if it's once we're talking right. prescription things, right? Right. So something you just mentioned that I'm wondering about is you said sometimes the new mother can feel like a shooting pain up the nipple. And, you know, being that I support new mothers as a birth doula and as a midwife assistant, I do see that sometimes new mothers, when they're learning how to figure out the latch, sometimes that just comes with trial and error. So how does a new mom distinguish or differentiate between I have thrush they're shooting pain up my nipple versus I'm just trying to perfect the latch. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would never just start with saying, oh, this must be thrush. Right, 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 right. Because it's so common to have painful nipples in the beginning because the baby just isn't latching on deep enough. So first we should perfect that. But if there's consistent pain, even after you get the good latches and you see crack, there's various ways that yeast looks on the nipple. You can have the white thrush like the baby had in its mouth on the nipple. So there's a little more going on fixing that latch. That's Usually great. Once you fix the latch, it's you're better within a day or two. That's awesome. Mastitis. What is that? Can I do it? Sure. So mastitis is milk that sits in our ducts and gets infected or the surrounding area gets infected. It's usually happens after if you're super engorged, which I assume is maybe our next buzzword. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But if you have a ton of milk just sitting in your breasts that you're not able to express or it, it, it just stays there and it can't get out, sometimes it can cause an infection. So typically with mastitis, the first thing you're going to feel before you experience mastitis is probably a clogged duct. Mm. Most people are going to experience that. And then if you don't, remedy the clogged duct, that's what then will cause the infection. And a clogged duct is going to feel like a little like a little stone or like a little hard part somewhere in your breast. And you can, as you're breastfeeding, it's a good idea generally to like feel around your breast, make sure that everything feels good. If you do feel a bit of a hard area to put a little bit of extra gentle pressure on it while your baby's nursing so that you can help the baby get the milk out. And then if that escalates into mastitis, you're going to notice in addition to feeling a little bit of that like harder area on your breast, you might see some redness where that duct is. You might start to feel flu-like symptoms. Maybe you'll get a fever, you'll get the chills, you just, your body will ache, you'll feel like you're getting sick. And that is your clue that, oh, maybe I have an infection. Typically we see that mastitis happens after the mom has been doing too much. So our bodies really crave rest and relaxation after birth. And our society tells us to go to the grocery store and take your baby for a walk. So a lot of times they see like, gosh, I don't feel very good. I you know, I have this red spot on my breast. Like, what do I do? I'm like, okay, we're like, okay, well, you know, what else is going on? Oh, well, yesterday I like went to the mall and I, you know, did X, Y, Z. It's like, okay. So the things to remember are preventing mastitis is easy by (laughs) nursing your baby often. So the more you're removing the milk from your breasts, the better. And then also if you do, if you are experiencing mastitis, you know, rest, take the day or two days and just lay in your bed. Don't move with your baby, obviously. Nurse, nurse, nurse on that side. Because what we're trying to do is get the milk out. You can use some like cabbage leaves or some cold packs to kind of help with the inflammation and the swelling. And then sometimes people also like to use a little bit of heat to then help the milk out of your breast. If after 24 hours of kind of monitoring, if it's subsiding, if it subsides on its own, then you just know, okay, I need to pay attention to my body, listen, 
rest, chill out a little bit. If it gets worse, if you notice it's getting redder, harder, you're not, your, your fever is, you know, going up, not down, then we would recommend contacting your doctor for antibiotics. But antibiotics are kind of like the last step in the mastitis treatment. They're not the first, they're not the go-to. Right. Um, Unless it escalates. escalates. Yeah. We usually say that you can clear it within 24 hours. And I think the most important is rest Mm -hmm. and emptying. Yeah. And then once that has occurred for a good 24 hours, if your fever and the redness aren't subsiding, then absolutely antibiotics are okay. And they're okay with breastfeeding. Yeah. And you're okay with breastfeeding. And there's also some other things. You can up your vitamin C, drink lots of water. There's the the sunflower. Yeah. Some people recommend sunflower lecithin, which we wouldn't recommend taking all the time, but to help clear it, it can be useful. Then the homeopathics are the phytolacca and the heparin sulfur. Sulfur. That's the other one. Mm -hmm. Great. Those two were told to me early on when I was a breastfeeding mama, and so passing those along. I love homeopathic remedies. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of my clients use them to prepare for labor and birth. Yeah. And they really work. They really do. Mm -hmm. I I got to use them too with mine. I kind of forget about it because it's not a common thing Mm -hmm. in our culture at all. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Castor oil packs. Yeah. Castor oil packs is another one you can put castor oil on a pad and a little bit of warmth and Mm -hmm. put it on your mastitis. It's pretty obvious. You'll, you'll see a big red splotch Splotch. on your breast and that's exactly where you want to gently massage and also where you want to put like a castor oil pack or put a cabbage leaf just right on that redness i love that you can use a cabbage leaf to help with that and the cabbage usually goes with the cold and Mm -hmm. so when you say what is it hot or cold you can alternate Mm -hmm. and i always Mm -hmm. say whatever feels like what you'd like to do that's the one that's for you (laughs) i love that you alluded to this one already, Kimmy, but engorgement. And so my question with engorgement is, you know, you said with a clogged duct that you'll feel sometimes something in the duct. Mm-hmm. So how can someone differentiate engorgement versus a clogged duct? And I guess what is engorgement is where we should start. Should it? Got it. <laughs> engorgement usually happens when your milk is coming in in the early days after you've given birth. And not every single mom will get engorged, which is interesting. So it's not just it's for sure going to happen, but it's good to know about it and be prepared and prevent it if possible. And because milk comes in usually day two, day three, day four, day five, kind of keeps coming in, if the baby's not emptying the breast, Fully, which they usually don't, especially if you were a mom who's about to have a lot of milk, then your breasts can become engorged. And that just means really full breasts that are super uncomfortable. And she feels overloaded and very heavy and they're hot, a little bit hot, but they're not mastitis. The difference is redness and fever tells you it's mastitis. Engorgement is just this very full overall generalized full breast and they can be rock hard when they get really serious, which makes it really hard to get a good deep latch. So one thing to do if you are engorged and are having trouble latching your baby is to do some areola compression before baby latches to really soften the areola so baby can get on deeper. That's important. And then the way to prevent it is nursing both breasts frequently. So we will say in the early days, it's a good idea to do one breast, then Till the baby starts to slow down 15, 20 minutes in, switch. You don't have to continue this method forever, but just in the early days to prevent mastitis, emptying both breasts because they work independently of each other. Right. And usually there's one overachiever breast yes. and one underachiever, but both need to be stimulated, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you switch for the one you start with each time. That helps to try to even them. Babies will take the majority of their feed in the first 10-ish minutes. And so if you're consistently starting on the same side, that side is going to have more production over time. And so if you switch which side you're starting on, then you're telling your body, make milk on both sides. Yeah, that's and if, great. And if you're having trouble you know, really getting to the other breast, which is sometimes, mm-hmm. this one's really hard for me. It's common to have like one breast that's really hard to latch on to, either for your yourself, because if you're left-handed, it might be easier to latch on one side than the other, or for the babies. Or the babies, babies have, you know, after the babies are, might have a, so they come out and they their, their body could be a little bit tight, 
They might have a side preference. They might have an injury. Different ways to help the baby with positioning, with helping them with their latch to make sure that they can get on both sides. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'm wondering, you said sometimes a baby can have an injury with birth, which is very true. So it has me wondering if someone's birth experience can impact their milk supply. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's certainly ease of breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Mm. 100%. Say more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This came to me through observation because I've been in this field for so long. And I've always felt like it was very, very hard for many moms to breastfeed. started realizing that these moms weren't having the same trouble that they were having in the hospital. So you used to work in the hospital? I worked as a postpartum nurse in a hospital, plus Mm -hmm. most of my clients give birth in a hospital. Mm -hmm. But then there are some who do home births. Mm -hmm. And I can say pretty much hands down that the home birth, just the whole energy behind it is that the baby goes right to the chest and no one interferes. That's the secret. Mm -hmm. And the drugs involved in a birth with all sorts of additives <laughs> to right. interfere as well because the baby yeah. isn't quite as alert quite as ready but i think it's also just when you're held in birth as a mom and when you're able to make decisions for yourself and when you're when you're the one in power in your birth experience all of that helps guide your postpartum journey your motherhood journey i think there's so much to be said for just having that birth experience, feeling that empowerment and however you choose to feel that. So whether that's at home, whether that's in the hospital, whether that's a unmedicated or an epidural, like just as the mom, you getting to make those decisions and feeling really confident in your choices and having a team of supportive people around you, helping you feel your power, I think is something that like propels us into how to handle motherhood and how to make sure that our we're, we're advocating for ourselves in postpartum and with breastfeeding and everything that comes with that too. Those are good words. Yeah. And it, it, I think it also has to do with safety, whatever the mom totally. feels safe, mm-hmm. not in her head, but in her body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes on paper, and this is kind of my work as a doula is helping people figure out what, what their, their body mm-hmm. is going to feel safe. And sometimes that doesn't always line up with what they think in their mind. We were talking about this on the phone today about how we don't live in our bodies. No, we don't. Very often. And birth is such a time where if you're not used to living in your body, it can feel really scary because you're there. You You Uh, have no other choice (laughs) but to get into that body. Yeah. 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 So I I think you're right. I think that it's like that inner knowing of I am safe in my body in this space. So you can really go inwards because you have to go inwards in a way you've never gone before. Like there's just, there's no other experience in life that will prepare, that will mirror childbirth. As lactation consultants, do you help your clients in the early days, uh, perhaps spotting tongue ties, lip ties with the infant? And how do you navigate that? Very gently. Yes, we do it very (laughs) delicately. First, I think it's, really important just to take a look at the baby. You can chime in if you take a look at the baby while you're in observation and explain to the parent, I like to look at their mouth as well, just to check and make sure there are no tongue ties and things. And they go, what's that? (laughs) So you're educating all the way around. We talk about lip ties, tongue ties. and, And so together I help the patient, the parent, look over my shoulders that we're looking together at what we're seeing. And, and, So we look to see that the baby's tongue can extend, can lift and rest comfortably on the roof of the mouth, and can also have a nice strong suck and pull, can cup the finger nicely. So you're doing the full mouth check as a lactation consultant. Sometimes you can just see it obviously right up front. If a little tie comes right up to the tip of the tongue, baby's tongue can't even slip out without a heart-shaped occurring, and that's absolute tongue tie where it's really tight and hard. The whole goal is that the tongue can extend past the nipple and onto the areola and draw in the milk on the duck's far mm-hmm. back so it doesn't hurt. So sometimes we see little ones and we'll say, well, everybody has a tongue tie. 
of some sort or another. You don't call it a tie, but everybody has a frenulum. Some are tighter than others, and they have a purpose. But how, if it's a, to the point of tightness that's affecting how well the baby can extract milk or how much pain there is in the nipple, then that's where maybe something should be done about it. And if we see that together with the parent and she continues to feel discomfort, we don't like to rush into things unless it's very obvious. But if it's continuous and definitely there's something going on, then we'll su suggest she goes and sees a specialist. Usually the dentists are good at that now. Yeah, there's pediatric dentists who specialize in oral restrictions. All of us have frenulums, so it's, it's about the anatomy of the mouth and the function, right? So how well can that baby transfer milk? Is the mom in pain? It's a whole person experience. Yeah. And it's between the dyad, too, because sometimes it, looking at just like with the visual or a, you know, like a check of the baby's mouth, you're like, yeah, everything looks okay, but the mom's continuously having the same nipple pain in the same area and you can it's it's, it's about the dyad and, and the function of the mouth yeah that makes sense so sometimes people are quick to say every single tie should be remedied even if they're just little ones our goal is to not to cause as little mm -hmm. intervention as possible but if it's needed we're not afraid of suggesting right. it but you don't want to be quick to scare anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's a surgery. Mm -hmm. It's so. a little surgery, and, and it can. Can it cause an impact on the baby? We've seen that it can, and it does it always. Usually not. Usually it's just a quick little removal. They use this laser in 15 seconds, and it's released. But can there be some after discomfort? Yes. And do they need to continually do little exercises mm -hmm. to keep it open? Yes. And so it's involved. Yeah, and of course the baby's probably a little uncomfortable through yeah. that healing process. So interfering as little as possible, yeah. so not to disturb that connection, that bond with the mother and baby, I would assume is pretty important. It is. I think yeah. we'd be, we're more careful than we are ready to jump. And I think it's trendy right now. <laughs> I mean, unless it's a situation where you just see like, oh my gosh, like this is so necessary to be taken care of today it's like well you can still be at home for a while you don't have to rush to the dentist we're not like go tomorrow it's just like well let's keep talking about this let's see what you know let's let's keep watching it and if things don't improve then in a week or in two weeks then you go and you make an appointment yeah and it sounds like the way that you both approach your practice as a lactation consultant is that when you work with a client you're checking in on them mm -hmm. periodically it's not just a one and done consult. Like you are checking in on your clients to make sure they're on a good trajectory. And we offer that as part of our practice that they have a continual correspondence with us for as long as they breastfeed, which we're hoping is anywhere from two to seven years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever they want it to be. Yeah. Or the baby wants it to be. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. I love that. How does food impact someone's milk supply? And are there certain foods that someone might want to consider minimizing if they're, you know, wanting to breastfeed? And what about foods to boost supply? We love to start with the premise of we want you to enjoy breastfeeding. So that what goes with that is eat the foods you enjoy because that's going to make you feel the best. Mm -hmm. Are there foods that can interfere Sometimes. And is it the same with every mom? No, because every baby and mom are different. Are there foods that promote milk and breastfeeding? And I say, oh, all the foods you love. <laughs> Plus <laughs> foods that are high in iron because you've lost blood and you need to create lots of good blood flows to help your milk supply grow. So foods high in iron and those are your dark leafy greens. And if you're a meat eater, you can eat your red meats. So all the foods that are high in iron are great. So dark leafy greens, brown rice, barley, oats. The oats and the grains aren't so much in the iron, but they're also known to be a little bit galactagog, meaning milk producing. But as far as foods to stay away from, we don't like usually it. recommend that. Yeah, <laughs> We don't, yeah. because everybody's so unique. And it usually doesn't show up right away. Like if a baby's sensitive to dairy, you don't usually see that right off the bat. But we will say, if your baby continues to be 
really fussy, gassy, crying a lot. If your baby has a reflux, if your baby has lots of rashes, if your baby has blood in the stool, those can be signs of a sensitivity to a food. And those usually come a little later, not in the when first When later, weeks. like six months, four months? Two months. Two months, okay. Somewhere after the first six month. Weeks. Six weeks. Yeah. Six weeks, two months, somewhere in there. But even then, we wouldn't necessarily say, okay, cut it all out. We'd say, okay, why don't you keep why don't you keep a journal? Keep a log. Pay attention to what you're eating. Pay attention to the baby. Watch your baby. You know, I think with everything we say, watch your baby. You know, mm-hmm. pay attention to your, to your baby and see and then we can notice some patterns. Oh, okay. You know, and I mean, I, I should say, if there was blood in the stool, you want to go to the pediatrician immediately. But, <laughs> but yeah. with the but other all ones. Those, but all of those, the reflux and everything, yeah. you probably will go, probably to, the want to, go to the doctor to but, check out. But those are usually a sign of an allergy. Mm-hmm. And I have often found even reflux as a, as a dairy. Usually dairy is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. The wheat, the eggs, the soy. The rest of them don't take as don't take as long. But dairy, I think, is at least about a month wow. that you would notice a difference if it is dairy. Oh, that's interesting. A long time. But yeah. thank God, there's all kinds of nice dairy alternatives. Not yeah. so much cheese, but there are other wonderful alternatives to right. milk and yogurt. <laughs> it's important to remember that um, our milk isn't made from our digestive system, so our milk is made from our blood. So the things that we eat. We are processing them differently than our baby is going to receive them. For example, if you were to get food poisoning, and that's like a digestive system issue for the mom, the baby is not going to get food poisoning. Mm-hmm. And if the mother gets a virus, if the mother gets a virus, the baby, baby will not get it. Baby the doesn't milk. get the virus through the milk. In fact, the baby gets antibodies from the so virus. That virus. Through the milk. For that so virus. I think I, I think so that that's, a, that's a distinction that's important for people to understand because I think it's confusing. They're, they're getting the vitamins nutrients, the minerals, but they're not getting like our stomach. So another way to put that that I heard was so nice in a study I read once was that if a mother eats only bread and water, her milk consistency is going to be as nutritious Mm -hmm. as the woman who eats this very healthy diet. The difference is the mother suffers. Right. Right. So that's why we always just reiterate Take, like it's so important in postpartum to take care of yourself as the mom and to feel healthy in your body, to feel like you're eating good food, to feel like you're being cared for, to feel like you're being loved because that, you know, that is what we're needing to be able to make the milk, to be with the baby, to, to pass that on. But that's lovely. So food in postpartum is to nourish the mom. What are your thoughts on breastfeeding and consuming alcohol? If you have a problem with alcohol, that's a completely different situation. This is just for people who are drinking occasional glass of wine, occasional glass of wine, having beer with dinner, you know that kind of thing. One martini. So the amount of alcohol that gets into breast milk is about two percent of whatever you're consuming. So it's a really, really small amount. So usually, what we would tell our our moms is, if you want to have a glass of wine with dinner, that's completely fine. We would suggest nursing your baby first having a glass of wine right away. And then by the time your baby nurses in the next two-ish hours, that alcohol is going to be out of your system. I think that in the past, there was this air quotes, pump and dump situation. And Mm. that really isn't necessary for, you know, a glass of wine at dinner. As soon as the alcohol is out of your your blood, it's also out of your your breast milk. It's not just sitting there in your milk waiting. And if you feel tipsy, Mm -hmm. don't breastfeed. Right. Because it's in your bloodstream. So that's a nice way to be able to read it. Yeah. I love that. Can you talk a little bit about special circumstances with your clients? I think sometimes as a birth doula, it's hard because most of my clients, their goal is to breastfeed. And sometimes it's not smooth sailing. And sometimes someone's emotional well-being is being compromised. And that might mean supplementing with donated breast milk or other means. So can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on supplementing um, how you support clients and and helping them feel okay if they need that and not like it's their fault. Mm -hmm. Oh, we love to talk about that because the goal is to then, if if a mother cannot breastfeed fully, which sometimes happens, I like to talk about that because I feel like I've dealt with that a lot with moms. And the most important thing is to connect with your baby. And we feel that so strongly that we've changed the word from breastfeeding to nursing. 
because there are moms who cannot breastfeed. If you had a mastectomy, you cannot breastfeed, mm-hmm. but you can nurse your baby. So you can hold your baby, or if a mother is a surrogate and she doesn't breastfeed, or she does some breastfeeding, she can hold her baby with that bottle right there cuddled up nice, close to her, with eye contact, with connection, as if she were breastfeeding, and she can nurse that baby. Or the dad can nurse the baby, or it's the grandma, whoever it is, can nurse that baby as that very important caretaker. Backing up to when she's first discovering that she doesn't have all the milk that she thought she was going to have, and she's now needing to supplement, will start by saying, how important is it to you to breastfeed? And if it's very important, we'll help her to get the baby to fall in love with the breast by doing supplementing at the breast. Mm. Instead of immediately going to the bottle as a supplement, if you keep that baby connected to the nipple as this is your source, they will stay with this idea that your breast is home for them. Mm-hmm. And we find that so important because you want to, the mother wants more than anything to feel this deep connection to her baby. And if she can do that at the breast as the first most important, or at least be able to sustain that and then eventually add in the bottles as well as breast and bottle, terrific. Jennifer always has this beautiful way of talking about the right brain, left brain. Mm-hmm emotions with new motherhood and how our right brain is really ignited because that's what feels and senses and that's what our baby is all right brained and so and our left brain is like you know calculating and logistics and all that stuff so as soon as you kind of like have to turn on your left brain to think about pumping calculate things schedule things you're you're getting out of that mode with your baby of connection being productive. <laughs> and I want to add to that that we have a funny way of looking at mothers and we diss them by mm. saying, oh, I've just got my mom brain right now. Mm. And what is that? That mom brain is that wildfire right brain which is ignited with birth and breastfeeding. And, and it's, intuitive. It's, intuitive. Mm-hmm. it's intuitive. I'm wondering if you guys would be willing to share a little bit about your own birth experiences as much or as little as you want to share and how perhaps that impacted what you do now with serving mothers. I have very fond memories of my birth. I feel like that was my turning point in my life into strength, mm-hmm. into empowerment. I mean, you don't see it at the time, but when you, when you look back, you go, wow, <laughs> look at look what I did. <laughs> you do, you feel like if I could do that, I can do anything. Well, going into childbirth, I expected that I was going to have a natural birth. It wasn't a question for me to do it any other way. It might have been the timing. My babies were born in the 90s. Back then, home birth or natural birth in the hospital was common. Mm-hmm. They had birthing rooms. <laughs> it was silly. Yeah. Wow. And that's what I wanted to do. So I had my girlfriend who I made my documentary with at my side. She was a former midwife. So she came to the birth as well. And I felt I loved my doctor, my pediatrician. I mean, my OB was lovely. I got to labor in that hospital. First of all, I took a class, took a uh, Bradley class. I did that too. Which I loved. I loved that class. And And I took a breastfeeding class. The Bradley class said, you know, you labor at home as long as you can until you lose your inhibition. Well, little did I know that I was laboring at home and it turned into a Sunday morning that I was laboring at home, stark naked, hair down, was all the way down to my waist. It just looked like, I don't know what, a goddess, I guess. (laughs) My neighbors were going to take us to the hospital. They came to the door and I went to that door naked with my hair down, (laughs) not thinking a thing of it. But in hindsight, that was the time to go because I had lost my vision. (laughs) And sure enough, I got to that hospital with just a couple hours of pushing to begin. It was tough. I remember I was moaning, and my sister came to the birth to film, and they said, follow the sound of the beached whale. (laughs) Oh, my sister. That's how she found me. (laughs) That is so funny. Because I went to, you know, you go Uh, to this very, well, you know, know, you go to this very deep, deep guttural. You have to. To get through that, right? (laughs) So... I gave birth naturally in that hospital. My doctor was patient. My lovely friend slash midwife 
saw that I was losing little oxygen. She, John, she oh. took the mask of oxygen, put it on my face while I was struggling a bit. The doctor said, we need to get that baby out. We're having some decelerations here. Next push, if you don't get that baby out, we're going to vacuum. And that put me into high mode, and I pushed with every might and fury that I could. Broken vessels in my eyes. The baby did, too. <laughs> but we survived fantastic. Didn't need any vacuum as a result of pushing just right. Amazing. Healthy boy. They took him away from me for a moment to suction him because he had meconium as he was coming out. The doctor had to come. The pediatrician had to come. They took him just for a minute. And even, I just remember him just being across the room while they were sectioning him out. And I was just yearning for him. I needed him. And as soon as he came back to me, I was just, was the most incredible experience of my life. Mm -hmm. I love your stories. I've never heard them before. (laughs) Oh, Um, sweet. My best friend growing up, her mom was a midwife. And then she became a midwife. And she had her first baby before I had mine, and she had a home birth. So that was, and my mom, um, I was born in the hospital, but unmedicated birth. So I think. I'm going to ask you, yeah. what hospital were you born oh at? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Probably Northwestern. Oh, Northwestern. I, I was born so. at Columbus, but it's oh. not a hospital anymore. I don't, I don't even, you know, curious. I don't even know. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> and I don't think it was called Northwestern at the time. I think it was called, like, Evanston Something, yeah, something. yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I assume <laughs> I was born there. You know, I've actually never asked mom if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but so I think I had the mental framework of that's what you do. So mm-hmm. when I got pregnant, I did. I saw an OB for the my first trimester because I wanted all of my scans and everything covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then I started. I started seeing a midwife probably at like maybe 10, 12 weeks. I would think. And she was this incredible woman. We were living out in the Inland Empire at the time. I remember her telling me, like, her license number in California for the midwives was, like, 11 or something. She was just, like, an OG midwife. I think sometime after my daughter was born, she had her 1,000th baby. So she was just this, like, wealth of information. And she had a few student midwives who were just lovely also. And so... It was just this like team of women. I think at my, I think at her birth, I want to say there were like maybe four or five. I think I was in labor for about 17 hours. And I remember it being like just so intense. And we also did the Bradley method and gosh, the, like, I remember, I think I I thought I was in transition before I was, then I learned I wasn't actually in transition and like kind of had a meltdown over Mm. that because I thought that whatever reason it seemed like it was at that point of progression where I was like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like this Mm -hmm. is so intense. I was given some homeopathic. I don't even know what it was because what she said was that apparently there's two muscles that need to contract Mm -hmm. to make things go. And they were both contracting, but not in unison. Mm -hmm. So she gave me something to kind of help bring them together. And then my daughter was actually a little bit tilted in my uterus. And so I remember she put one hand up me (laughs) and held my daughter's head. And with her other hand, she kind of like, scooted her so that mm. her spine was against like the cent- the center mm. of my stomach and I, that was like exceedingly painful and then immediately after that my water just like broke and we, I went into the birth tub I think pushed for maybe 30 45 minutes and mm. out she came and I caught her myself I put my you know I kind of felt her and I felt her little face and I remember, like, one midwife was holding my perineum. <laughs> my husband was, like, behind me in the tub. and The other one was, like, videoing the whole thing. And, you know, I just kind of, like, they just, but they let me do it on my own. And I remember, like, I grabbed her arm under her arms and I pulled her up to my chest. And it was just, like, the coolest. Like, it's, like, amazing. the most amazing thing. And then we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. I was just, like, holding her just, like, oh, my gosh. Thank God that's over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, my baby's here. Like, I couldn't believe it. And my husband behind me, I remember him going, well, what is it? And I looked at him, I'm like, it's a baby. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, oh, is it a boy or a girl? And I was like, oh, I like didn't even, I, I, I just gave it. Yeah. But then we looked and we're like, oh, it's a girl. And oh, that is so exciting. sweet. Yeah. It is so sweet. And then we moved from the tub to my room. It's just so beautiful. I remember they helped, they like made me food and they helped yeah. me, like they helped her latch for the first time and they helped me shower, you know, like just kind of all these things that you don't even think you, you need. And then in that moment, you're just like, oh yeah. You know, yeah. That was all amazing. 
And I'm sure they cleaned up. They cleaned up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like everyone's worried about like having a home birth. Like I don't want a messy home. Like no, your home is Oh my gosh, it was spotless. Yeah, the tub was gone. Like Mm -hmm. I remember that whenever I went out and from my bedroom again three days later, whenever it was, you know. Yeah. I remember just being like, wait, where's everything? And my husband was like, oh, like they took it like day of. I'm like, they drained that where'd they drain it? And he's like, I don't know. I wasn't there. Like, you know, it's just they just did everything. Isn't that nice? Yeah. That's I love beautiful. that. Yeah. What a service. Yeah. And so with my second, it was also way faster. <laughs> he, he had though, he tricked me like starting at 36 weeks. I was like, I am having contractions. Like these are not Braxton Hicks. These are like contractions. I remember my, my being, I had to use a different midwife this time. And she was also just like, I had two and they were both just like the best. I loved them. And she was like, okay, well, you know, I can't deliver at home until 37 weeks. And I was like, talking to him like you stay <laughs> you stay in there um, but then he was born they were both born at 40 plus two so he stayed in for the whole time and I remember just I woke up I was like oh this is it okay mm. this is this is the day and I took my daughter to school and I remember like walking around and I was um, working at the time and so I remember I was like at some point the midwives came over to like check me out because I was supposed to have an appointment that day but they came to me and one of them did a rebozo on me mm-hmm. to kind of like help move baby down we picked up my daughter from school and I remember I was like in the bath because I was like just not feeling well but I think I was in denial that I was in labor like I think I was like thinking I was gonna have the 17 hour labor again so I was like I got hours like I'm just gonna hang I remember I took a work call and I got off the phone and then I was like my husband was like okay I'm gonna go take Lila for a walk and I was like no 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 call the midwives <laughs> like this is this mm-hmm. is happening and then he was born I think like two hours later Wow. Yeah. I labored for most of his labor and what I didn't realize, my bathtub and then the birth tub. And then he was born, though, in in my bed because I, I think I started to push and there was a little bit. I think I was bleeding a little bit when I started pushing. So she wanted to check me. And then as she was checking me, he just like flew out <laughs> and he was born in call. So that was super cool. Wow. So So they opened his his little sack and we also didn't know what he was. And so he came on my chest and. My daughter was in the room when he was born, Aww, so she got to, like, sweet. witness the whole thing. Wow. Jennifer, is this the first time you're hearing yes. this? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't know. We've never talked about no. it How special. Yeah. Yeah. It's so special. Yeah, yeah very special. That. They were both just, like, I mean, such empowering experiences and Changes in different ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the first time you're, like, I was so proud of myself. Like, I mm-hmm. can't believe I did that. I can't believe you did it. Like, I just And then felt once it's like over, it's over. Yeah. Because the natural birth, you, you immediately, yeah. the pain's over. Right. It's gone. It's gone. You're strong. I didn't need any stitches. Mm-hmm. Wow. You don't suffer. Like, Amazing. it was just, breastfeeding experience was probably more difficult with both of them than my birth, especially with my son. My daughter, for some reason, she breastfed pretty easily. My, I mean, it was painful and I didn't know what I was doing, so I had a lot of help but it wasn't like she didn't have there weren't there weren't any like major issues that we needed to overcome but my son and now that I do what I do I'm like surprised with myself because I'm like that's interesting because he my supply was really low with him much lower than with my daughter and he was like I think just a little bit weaker maybe of a baby and so he just like needed help I was like pumping and you know supplementing Mm -hmm. and breastfeeding for a long time I think in total it was probably two or three weeks of supplementing uh-huh. Yeah, so it was, I mean, it was, you know, the whole, like... To get him really strong. To get him really strong. And also to get my supply going, because mm-hmm. it was just, it, it took a while. And usually with second babies, yeah. you have more. Exactly. I think I may have in the end. I also, talking about tongue ties, I'm pretty sure he has a tongue tie. <laughs> we should have. I remember at the time, they were like, yeah, he has a tie, but I took him to an ENT, and they said no. Hmm. So I was like, okay. And, and yeah. knowing what I know now, I probably would have, I would have taken him to a specialist. Um, but I didn't know at the time. You know, you don't know what you don't know. So I think that might have helped him a lot to have it for him specifically. But at the same time, he ended up breastfeeding for over two years. He doesn't have any speech issues. Amazing. You know, so it's kind of one of those things to really well. I love what you said, too, about being in denial. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's something I tell first-time moms all the time. Like, I want you super relaxed. I want you to stay in denial for as long as possible because when someone gets really excited or worked mm-hmm. up or anxious and becomes a busybody, then that can prolong yeah their experience. And if you're just like, ah, nah, I'm just going to hang out yeah. and see how this goes. Like there's an energy to that of just being more relaxed mm-hmm. and open. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
Well, I would love for you guys to chat about how you engage with the community. What projects are you working on? And if you can maybe also the Milky Way movie a little bit and where can people find it and where can people find you? Well, the film, which came out in 2014, is available on Amazon Prime, Hulu, Vudu, a lot of streaming networks, but not on Netflix. Yes, everywhere other than Netflix. Pretty much. It was a feature film documentary, full length. Um, he had it scored by a fantastic couple. He was a um, orchestra director. So wow. then they were pregnant and they met us at a film festival and saw that we needed to have music and they were so excited to join us and write the music for our film. They wrote the villain scene and me, I, I played the hero, so I took you, I take you on a journey. So he Amazing. writes the music accordingly. It was, it was pretty cool. So when you watch it, put, make sure you have a good sound system. We got to film people who are in my practice, as well as the, I call them my superheroes. <laughs> They're the ones who are like the experts who I've been following for years and who taught me the knowledge I know. I thought it was going to become obsolete and after about five years. That's what we told ourselves that, that would be done. And unfortunately, it's still very valuable today. I came up with this idea that we need art. Because when mm. we traveled in, I got to travel in Spain. My son was there while we were filming. But we didn't have a name yet for the film. And we were looking for that name. And we were. I was also just amazed that when you travel in Europe, breastfeeding art is everywhere. And mm -hmm. it promotes breastfeeding to see art. And we didn't have that here in America. So I was really gung-ho with the idea that we needed art here and places to nurse and to normalize it. So up came the idea of creating what we call the Art of Nurture, mm. which is a place for benches to be created for moms to sit, to be able to breastfeed in public on a bench with a painting of a mother nursing a baby. Oh, to call to that. attention that this is a beautiful thing and that you too can do it in public. <laughs> so there's five benches and they're all over they're Los all Angeles? Over. Mm -hmm. yeah, awesome. Unfortunately, we don't have any in like public spaces, which is the goal, but they're mm -hmm. all in private spaces. So there's one at um, the Kindred Space Birth Center in LA. There's one at a place called Sovereign. There's one at a community garden in Compton, Willowbrook. There's going to be one at the school. And then at the. Oh, and there's one at Dr. Pinto's office, and she's Great. one of the infant tongue-tie specialists. That's amazing. Yeah. What and a then, special project. Yeah. It really is fun. It's really fun. We are, you can find us for that project on on Instagram at The Art of Nurture. It's a work in progress. I'm just going to say that out loud. <laughs> it always is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes. Uh, and then where can people find you guys if they want to reach out or have questions or totally. perhaps want to work with you? We have a website called, um, it's www.themilkywaymamas.com and you can also find us on Instagram at the Milky Way Mamas. Thank you so much for sharing today and I just so so appreciate you both taking the time and, and sharing your expertise and wisdom because I think a lot of new moms can benefit from what you guys have to share. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Yeah. It's been so really fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share with friends and family and stay tuned for the next episode.